As Michigan's most powerful and influential voice for business, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce stands ready to serve you. Go to mychamber.com, that's M-I-C-H-A-M-B-E-R.com to learn more now. Through confidential sources, undercover agents, and clandestine recordings, law enforcement learned particular individuals were planning to kidnap the governor. It's been more than a year since news broke of an alleged plot to kidnap Michigan's governor. That was the U.S. Attorney of the Western District of Michigan, Andrew Burge, speaking at the first press conference about it. In 2020, federal agents arrested 14 men, including a group that called themselves the Wolverine Watchmen Militia. The FBI said the group got angry over COVID-19 restrictions and turned to domestic terrorism. The FBI and both U.S. attorneys, Governor Whitmer, then the colonel of the state police and the attorney general all have acknowledged no one's ever seen anything like this before. But now the government has to prove its case. And defense lawyers are seeking to hack away at the credibility of those in charge of the handcuffs. This month in federal court, they've highlighted a wife-beating FBI agent pointed to business dealings by another, raised an old accusation of perjury against a third, and brought up concerns with the double agent informant. They're hoping to get all of that in front of a jury, along with statements made during the investigation. The defense's goal is to prove the planning and training and scheming the government wants to show was actually motivated and created by the FBI, that the FBI entrapped innocent men. The government's case, allegedly, is essentially built on lying FBI agents and a crooked informant, that they were all bad actors, that they planted this information um, in the defendants' heads. This week, we dive into what the agents are accused of, what's at stake, and look at the last time the government lost its case against a Michigan militia. I'm Carrie Jr. the second, and this is on the line. Can you just, as we start, introduce yourself, who you are, and what you do at the Free Press? Uh, I'm Teresa Baldus. I'm the federal courts reporter at the Detroit Free Press. I've been covering the federal courts for uh, more than two decades, and. Um, uh, the uh, Whitmer kidnap plot is just one of many uh, criminal cases of I've covered in the federal courts. And so the Whitmer kidnap plot, can you give us a, a quick refresher on what happened? Yeah, sure. In October of uh, 2020, the federal government uh, arrested 14 individuals um, that they uh, allege were plotting to uh, kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, largely out of frustration over her COVID restrictions. And they were allegedly secretly plotting to uh, kidnap uh, Gretchen Whitmer um, with lots of sordid, crazy details along the way. There's, you know, talk of a plan where they would, uh, you know, kidnap her from her house and take her out on a boat and, 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 uh, and uh, even fly her off in a helicopter. And in October of 2020, in a, uh, you know, in, in a sting uh, out on Ypsilanti, uh, the government arrested uh, six individuals there. Another eight were uh, arrested elsewhere. Six of them are in federal court. Uh, eight are in state court. The six at the federal level were charged with kidnapping conspiracy. 
one person has already pled guilty and is expected to testify the others at trial uh, in, in, in March. Meanwhile, the men charged at the state level face charges for allegedly supporting a terrorist plot and the kidnapping. And that case isn't quite headed for trial yet, in part because of what we're about to discuss. And um, so there's been a lot of updates on this case. And so since you've been following this so closely, um, can you just tell us uh, about your more recent story that you just had? You had a pretty big recent story about three FBI agents. In short, can you tell us what happened with that? Sure. So so as we get closer to trial, this case is supposed to go to trial in, in March. Um, the defense uh, is continuously disclosing new details uh, in this case. Um, and and about how they plan to defend it, and 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 the theme of their defense is entrapment, and what um, has been disclosed in many court filings that the government's case allegedly is essentially built on lying FBI agents and a crooked informant, that they were all bad actors, that they planted this information um, in the defendants' heads. At the federal level, the government has essentially removed them from the case. And the government's like, you know what? You know, we're just not going to use these guys at trial. But the defense wants to use their statements at trial because they're saying, wait, wait, wait a minute. We have statements that shows that these guys uh, were were trying to frame our clients. And they want to get those statements in front of a jury. And there have been a lot of allegations about misbehavior uh, by these FBI agents. One of those is FBI agent Jason Chambers. He was one of the lead investigators in the Whitmer case, and he had recruited uh, an informant named Dan to infiltrate the, the so-called Wolverine Watchmen uh, militia group in March of 2020. Jason Chambers uh, was uh, accused of um, uh, marketing his new business uh, that he formed in the summer of 2019. It was a security consulting firm uh, where Chambers promoted himself as uh, someone who could use his FBI skills to provide intelligence services in the private sector. This is the agent who uh, the defense claims was motivated by uh, greed and that he uh, he actually made up the whole thing, uh, directed the informants to do certain things and say certain things so that in the end he'd come away with a, uh, a successful case. And so they were claiming that he was trying to make more business by promoting his uh, handlings of this case, the, the plot case, and saying that. Right, you know, okay. right. Did, did that yield any results? Did he get any new business? Uh, the, the FBI says no. You know, um, there's, there's no proof he made any money uh, off of this. And, and, and they've essentially... Um, uh, defended him saying, you know, he never denied filing the incorporation papers for his business and uh, that um, that he ultimately left his business, stayed with the FBI without ever making a deal with a client or deriving any financial benefit. And so who's next, the next uh, agent? FBI agent uh, Richard Trask. In, in October, when these suspects were first arrested and they went to court, this is at the federal level again. It was Agent Trask who took the stand in Grand Rapids and testified about all the things that these suspects allegedly did. And um, he became known as sort of the face of the government. But then uh, in July of 2020, he got arrested in uh, Kalamazoo uh, for allegedly assaulting his wife following a hotel swingers party. Ended up pleading no contest in December. He got no time. 
But the FBI removed him from the case and fired him. So Trask actually uh, also became controversial because, uh, and this was well before um, the suspects had been arrested. This is while informants were embedded in the group. But he went on Facebook, trusted on March 28 of 2020, and went off on President Trump. Um, he, uh, you know, he posted, as someone whose wife works in the hospital, I hope you burn in hell. Um, the defense wants to show this at trial, but the prosecution is is has asked the judge not to allow it in because they're not using Trask anyways. So it would be hearsay. And then there's Agent Impala, who was a lead witness to testify at the state level in one of the Whitmer plot preliminary examinations. FBI Special Agent Henrik Impala was also uh, a handler of informants. He handled an informant uh, named Dan, and he directed this uh, Dan uh, while the guy was embedded in the Wolverine Watchmen. Impala's role in the case, it raised red flags for the defense um, because of a prior perjury allegation in a completely separate matter. Um, A defense attorney in another case once accused Impala of perjury. We don't have details about what it was that he allegedly perjured himself with, but um, the prosecution says not only are those allegations unfounded, but that uh, a judge made no finding of misconduct against Impala. Um, However, uh, the defense wants to question Impala and they want his statements, conversations that Impala had with uh, his informant that he was directing, um, you know, uh, text messages, phone calls. Um, The defense says uh, they want to question Impala because they think it's relevant to his truthfulness. I think what's important here to, to, to recognize is that the first thing a defense attorney does in this type of situation is try to taint the credibility of the government's witnesses, whether they're FBI agents or whoever they are. And so that's almost like a classic first line of defense. What's interesting is that this also happened in the Hutari case. The Hutari case, as in the last notable time in Michigan, the federal government took on a group that self-identified as a militia. And in that case, the government lost. We'll be right back. As Michigan's leading statewide business advocacy organization, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce is on the job every day standing up for job providers in the legislative, political, and legal arenas. We are the unified voice of thousands of members who employ over one million Michiganders. We work with trade associations and local chambers of commerce of every size and kind in all 83 counties of the state. We know business in Michigan. Learn more today about how we can protect, connect, and strengthen your business. Whether that's advocating on your behalf at the Capitol, helping meet your informational training and networking needs, or boosting your bottom line visibility and voice, we're on the job for you. Make my chamber your chamber. Go to mychamber.com, that's M-I-C-H-A-M-B-E-R.com, to learn more now. (laughs) 
And we're back, speaking with Free Press reporter Teresa Baldez about the Whitmer plot case. More specifically, how defense attorneys in the case have focused on three FBI agents as they try to prove the government entrapped their clients. So that's almost like a classic first line of defense. We are going to let jurors um, think and believe and convince them that these guys cannot be trusted, that they're bad actors. So what's interesting is that this also happened in the Hutari case. However, there's a key difference here. These bad actors that we're learning about, the government is disclosing them ahead of trial. Um, in the Hutari case, we found out about alleged bad actors and, the, and, and misbehaving FBI agents in the middle of trial. The defense dug that stuff up. Here, the government is right out of the bat disclosing it all, saying, hey, listen, here's what we know about so-and-so, 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 and so-and-so. And by the way, they're off the case. So the Hutari case. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> it's the best opener. That's William Swore, who was a defense attorney for a lead defendant in the Hutari case back in 2012. Um, mem- members of the uh, one of the many militias that are in Michigan, I suspect with an intent to try and curry favor with the FBI, contacted the FBI and said, you know, us red-blooded militia members we really love our country, but you got to be worried about those crazy guys down in Adrian, the, the Hutari militia, because they really are plotting to overthrow the government. And so the government decided to investigate. And what year was this? Well, the trial was 2012, I believe. So this was 2010. So the government used a guy that they had used as an informant in the past and they were paying him. He, he went down to a Hutari training and chatted up the fellows. And then he would report back to the government. And at some point in time, the government started wiring him. Okay. And he was reporting more and more that the Hutari were really actually planning to attack the police and overthrow the government. The the Hutari had firecrackers, literally. They had firecrackers and they had firearms. There were two firearms that had been retrofitted to fire automatically, which was illegal and still is illegal. But other than that, they were just trained. There was a lot of talk. There was a lot of audio. There was a lot of video. And the government just made a decision that they were going to prosecute them. And the fact that the case was dismissed by the judge without even allowing it to go to the jury um, tells you how weak the government theory was and how little evidence they had. Well, I'm sure it's a lesson, you know, I'm sure the government walked away from that case and thought, okay, we have to do better next time. And next time is right now. Essentially, uh, the, the, the cases are similar in that the defendants were 
were uh, uh, anti-government extremists who hung out, uh, held field training exercises with guns, and made a lot of crazy comments about how they hated the government. However, Thwarted the Whitmer defense case is a bit different than the Hutari case, in part because his team didn't argue entrapment. They argued not guilty, and that the group was all talk. But let's get into what entrapment even really is. Define for us what entrapment is. Generally speaking, if it is an objective test, then the question is whether the government engaged in activity that provoked an individual who would not have otherwise committed a crime to commit a crime. That's the simplest and most straightforward. Um, there are some jurisdictions that take into consideration the state of mind of the defendant, whether the defendant was um, predisposed to engage in criminal activity or whether the predisposition part is, is irrelevant. The question is whether the conduct of the government was the factor which led the individual to do it, or if the government just provided tools or some other support that assisted or allowed the individual to do something. So, so in the Whitmer plot case, entrapment is the key defense, along with the defense that the men were simply all talk. What is your take on whether that could be a successful defense? Well, I guess, you know, it all depends on the facts. It depends on what the defense attorneys are able to establish and what the government is able to establish. All it takes is one juror who has misgivings uh, or is very skeptical of government overreach to uh, throw the whole case. Um uh, you know, you may have one juror on that case who who uh, is squeamish about paid informants or uh, uh, who questions uh, the government uh, uh, and how they uh, go after people or and how they investigate these types of cases. The defense is focused in on, on three FBI agents with issues and, and unrelated matters. How relevant do you believe those sort of concerns are to an, uh, an entrapment defense? They're relevant to an entrapment defense, but they're relevant to a simple defense of we didn't do it. Okay. We didn't commit the crime. Uh, they go to the credibility of the witnesses because the government's position is these are merely witnesses. You know, they were there to observe, to participate, um, to obtain information and evidence. The extent to which they became participants, especially the extent to which they took the lead in any activities or actively participated or engaged in any criminal activity on their own uh, is very relevant because that goes to the question of did these people intend to commit a crime 
uh, or were they taken to commit the crime? They want the right to be able to argue at trial that the government had bad actors in this case. This is how messy and sloppy they were. They had, look who was running it, you know, uh, three rogue FBI agents, a double agent informant who, you know, was working against us. And who was the alleged double agent? Uh, Steve turned out to be what the government is now saying uh, was a double agent. They claimed that he was pretending to be working for the uh, FBI while he was really just secretly trying to help uh, the the suspects uh, kidnap the governor. And a lot of uh, new details have come out uh, about this informant. There's a memo in the case that the defense has gotten a hold of, and it's an FBI agent who's writing a description, a summary of how his informant has been working on the case with, with references about how there's concern that he's going a little too far and comments such as, you know, he's uh, he seems to thrive on being the leader of the group. Now, the defense wants to use that because the defense argues all along that, hey, we didn't mastermind this. We didn't direct anything. And none of this was our idea that, that the informant was really doing it all. And the informants are allegedly puppets of the FBI agents. So it's interesting. We'll see what happens. And just to be clear, the defense isn't so much trying to put the agents on the stand but they do want the jurors to hear the statements they have to show them as deeds, which means the defense will have to use someone else to bring the matter up at trial. When and how will that be decided, whether or not the defense can include the statements of the FBI agents? I'm sure a judge will be, you know, probably any day now, you know, before trial for sure. When we got March, But I, I imagine a decision is going to come down soon. An entrapment argument at the state level is also planned for February. And how detrimental would it be f- for the defense if they aren't allowed to use those statements by the FBI agents? Well, it, it's certainly going to make it more difficult for them to raise their entrapment claim, but they'll still do it. Do you think there's more pressure on the government in this case because of what happened in the Hutari case? I don't think so. That was 10 years ago. That was two political administrations ago. Uh, certainly the government doesn't like to lose. And certainly there's pressure that way to make sure that they get the case right. I'm sure they don't get up every morning and say, Lord, uh, help me not make a mistake like the Hutari. Well, this case is also being tried in the Western District of, of, of Michigan in Grand Rapids. So you have a different U.S. Attorney's Office. But certainly, uh, I think it's fair to suggest or say that uh, the government is under some pressure, or at least in, in the court of public opinion, to, to, to get this right. Um, you know, you, you came out with some pretty damning allegations. You know, you've locked up these guys, you've portrayed them as domestic terrorists and accused them of a pretty significant, serious crime. Anything else you think people should know about what we're seeing here in the Whitmer plot case? It's certainly troublesome. As I said, one would think, especially after the Atari case, that the government would be more aware of its obligation to have control over its agents uh, and over its undercover operatives, that the supervision would be more close, uh, that they would do a better job of selecting the people that they're going to plant in there. Uh, and these, all three of these people 
from the little bit I've heard, sound like they've gone off the rails, that they were not the kind of disciplined, focused individuals that a jury would feel comfortable uh, relying on. Well, thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. Before we go, we must thank Teresa Baldus for her phenomenal reporting and for letting me steal some of her time for the show this week. This episode was produced by me and Darcy Moran with help from Tad Davis. Anjanette Delgado and Marian Struman are our executive producers and Peter Batia is our editor. The music for this show is called Fort Trumbull and was produced by DJ Lost Boy. As always, thanks for listening. And if you like the show, leave a comment, leave a rating, subscribe, and please share. And we'll see you next week.